Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. For those of you who are new, welcome to the city. So glad to have you with us. Uh, we are on a three-week sermon series, and this is week three. Come on. Sermon series, really fun. Uh, stretching myself, this is the first time I've done three in a row. I know. Seems really easy, but it's not. And so, uh, sound. So we are on a three-week series. On the first week, I talk about uh, the presence of God, how we uh, as believers, as uh, people who have been saved and set free, have access to the presence of God. Amen? Yeah, this is a great privilege that uh, was not something readily available to the people in the Old Covenant, but because of the New Covenant, because we are in uh, the New Covenant, because of the blood of Jesus, we have free access to the presence of God. Amen? Amen. It is a privilege, okay? It is a privilege. Okay, and then uh, last week I talked about being uh, a people of peace, embracing the way of peace, and peace is that blessed assurance that we have in God that now, because of the blood of Jesus, that we no longer bear the ramifications, the consequences of our sin, that we no longer have to conform to the patterns of this world, but now we've been grafted into a new kingdom, into a new way of living. Amen? We have that peace in God. And so I've talked about presence and peace, and today, closing off the series, I want to talk about our purpose on the earth. I want to talk about our purpose on the earth. Right? Let's pray as we begin. Lord Jesus, we thank you once again for the privilege of uh, being in your presence, of being able to commune with you, of being able to speak to you. God, we do not take this privilege lightly and we understand the price that was paid in order for us to have access. God, we ask even this morning that you will remind us once again by your Holy Spirit the price that was paid for us to enjoy the things that we're enjoying today. God, that your people will not be a thankless people, that we will not be complacent, but your people will constantly uh, embrace the lifestyle of thankfulness and gratitude, that we will always remember what was paid for us in order for us to enjoy what we're enjoying today. And God, we ask that even as the, the word is preached this morning, that Truly, you will touch lives, that hearts will be transformed and turned back to you. God, we pray for uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be upon this place, even as the word is preached, to bring forth transformation. So God, we thank you for this time and great privilege. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (coughs) 45 minutes, my clock starts now. You know, the Bible... um, there are two words to describe um, the will of, will of God in the Hebrew. Two words to describe the will of God. One word okay, describes the absolute will of God. It's absolute, it's happening now, it's certain. That's the will of God. The other Hebrew word describes the will of God in a different manner. It describes it as His desire. The Bible says that it is His desire that none shall perish. Can I ask you a question? Are people perishing now? Yes? Is it, is it his will for them to perish? No. Okay? It's his desire that none shall perish. And today I want to focus on, on that aspect. Okay? The, there's the will of God that's absolute. 
but it's the will of God that is His desire. And that's the will that we're called to partner with, we're called to co-labor and establish on on the planet. The prayer goes like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's his will. His will is for heaven to be on earth. Follow me? Yes? Sound doctrine? Heaven to be on earth. Yes? Does earth look a lot like heaven right now? There are pretty, some, there are pretty hellish situa- situations going around. Some of you are literally going through hell right now. But it's not his will. His will is for heaven to be on earth. Okay? We pray that prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The mandate upon the believer is to establish that reality on the planet, to bring about the desire of God for heaven to be on earth. Okay? How many of you have prayed that prayer before? Yes? I pray that prayer. On earth as it is in heaven. How many of you know that prayer does not relegate responsibility? It's not as though we pray and then we are no longer responsible, but prayer is embracing that responsibility. Prayer requires action. Prayer requires action. Follow me, okay? Last week, we talked about Jesus in the boat with the disciples. They were panicking, and then they were like, oh my gosh, we're going to die. And then they go to Jesus and like, Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? And then Jesus gets up, he comes a storm, and then he turns to them, and then he rebukes them. And he says, oh, why do you have so little faith? What is conversation with God? Prayer. Okay? They pray. Jesus gets up, rebukes the storm, turns to them and says, Oh, you people, why do you have so little faith? Can I put it to you that there are some things in life that God doesn't want to do for you, He wants to do through you. I shall entertain that request. And so I add five minutes, now someone's 50 minutes. <laughs> there are some things that God doesn't want to do for you, He wants to do through you. He's in to the business of co-laboring. Prayer doesn't relegate responsibility. It's embracing that responsibility. That means to say this, when I pray certain prayers, okay, it should shift and change the way I live. If I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, my lifestyle ought to reflect a person who is about establishing a kingdom as well. Sound doctrine. I, I know, I know. This, this part still sounds, we haven't gotten to the risky part yet. Do we really believe that God's will is for heaven to be on earth. That God's will is for His kingdom to be upon the planet. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that the world can be better? Do we really believe that this kingdom is to be established here through us? See, oftentimes we pray prayers, but we really don't honestly expect an answer. We pray prayers because it's the right thing to do but we honestly don't expect the answer. Can I put it to you that if we exalt the discipline of prayer above answers to prayer, we are in danger of exalting form above power. When we pray that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, there must be an expectation within us that it is possible, that it can be done, because it is His will. That's what I think. It can be done, right? Right? And he wants to, to do it through you and me. 
in the old covenant, you know, before the blood of Jesus was shed, people were all about their own business. They were stuck in sin. There was no remedy. There was no answer. They were under bondage. They were under oppression. They were all caught up, okay, in the midst of their own oppression, okay? They had no capacity, if you were, to change the world. But today, because of the blood of Jesus, all of that is done away with. And now we have the privilege of partnering Jesus in his work of establishing a kingdom on the planet. The new way to be human is this, is that we now have a divine purpose. We are no longer stuck in the old way of doing things. We're no longer stuck in the old things, but that old man has been put to death and now we are alive in Christ and we embrace the newness of life. And that involves being about kingdom business. To be a Christian, you have to be about the works of Christ. The only way to opt out of not doing the works of Christ is to not be a Christian. It's very simple. Christian, non-Christian. Christian, you do the works of Christ. Non-Christian, you do not do the works of Christ. Very simple. There is no middle ground. There is no gray area. The word uh, eschatology is used to describe... uh, It it means the study of the end times. And uh, eschatology is something that I and all our leaders have not talked about uh, from this pulpit. And uh, it's something that we endeavor to talk about. We endeavor to, to um, present to you what our views are and what we think uh, about the end. Because how many of you know that your perception of the end will determine how you live in the present? Yeah? You can't not have a view about the end. Okay? Uh, that's what I think. We may have differing views on eschatology. Like my view on the end times will be different from your view of the end times. But I want to make a statement, and the statement is this. Our perception of the end times cannot nullify the commandments that Jesus has already commanded us to do. He has commanded us to be filled with hope. He has commanded us to bring about His kingdom. He has commanded us to be a people of faith. He has commanded us to step out, to display the works of the kingdom. Your view of eschatology cannot nullify all of this. Some of our views of eschatology puts us in a place where we're like, okay, we want to build a Christian bunker, stay with Christians, and we'll wait out the apocalypse, and then we'll go to heaven. Your view on eschatology cannot, must not, should not nullify the commandments of Jesus. He said to you, my will is for the kingdom to be established on the planet. Through you, do we really believe in that mandate? Do we really believe that the world can become a better place because of his kingdom. I established it last week. Everybody wants a king like Jesus. Everybody is in search for that kingdom. You know, there's this popular teaching, I think it's a song, but you know, there's like a God-shaped vacuum in, uh, inside of every human heart and it can only be filled with God by God. I believe in that. But I also believe that it might be the other side of the coin, but I believe in every human heart is a kingdom-shaped vacuum. Every single person wants the kingdom of God because it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Everybody's on a search for that kingdom, that peace, that assurance, perfect rulership, perfect government. Everybody's on the search for that. And perhaps the way to seeing the world changed, hearts turned to Jesus is when believers begin to live more like Jesus begin to embrace more of the kingdom. Perhaps. I think so.
I'm not anti-return of Jesus, okay? I'm anti-passive Christianity. Sometimes we are, we, we often push uh, answers, push solutions to problems that we face today to the second coming, to the second coming, not recognizing that these answers, these solutions are available right now. There is not a problem in the world that Jesus doesn't currently have an answer for. Maybe instead of being fixated with figuring out the second coming, we ought to figure out how much the first coming actually accomplished for you. How many of you think so? If you think so, say sound doctrine. Okay. Uh, How many of you know what uh, the term was given to the disciples when Jesus commissioned them? He commissioned them as apostles. And... (laughs) ah, (laughs) Education, okay. He, he commissioned them as apostles. An apostle is actually a borrowed Roman term. The term or the rank of apostle is given to a Roman general. And a Roman general's job is to go into the conquered cities that were destroyed, that were conquered by the Roman army, and they would go into these cities and change the city to look and reflect uh, Rome. And it, it, it goes uh, in that it's not just changing the architecture, but they change, they, are, they, are, they, they, they will go about changing the education system, what languages are spoke, the culture even, to reflect that of Rome. Because the Roman emperor Caesar had one desire, and his desire was to go into all these conquered territories, and his desire was to feel as though he was at home. Apostles had that job of making Caesar feel like he was at home when he went into these conquered cities. And that term apostle was borrowed and it was conferred upon the, upon the disciples. And today we as an apostolic church, we are on that same mission as well. To go into the world, to make this world look like home. Where Jesus is, to look like heaven. We have that great responsibility upon our lives to establish this kingdom because he wants to feel like home. Is that making sense? Hmm? He went off the sound doctrine thing. How many of you remember Judas? Yes? Everybody, yes? I know Judas. Yes? Not personally, but through the Bible. Uh, how did Judas uh, betray Jesus? He betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Right? You know, it's a very intimate thing. Um, in that day, you know, it, it was like deep, deep intimacy. You know, it's a representation of intimacy. Today, if you kiss me, I call police and... I tell you me. But, but Judas, yeah, don't kiss me. His <laughs> lips, this thing is sanctified. Anyway, um, Judas uh, betrayed Jesus with a kiss, right? And that was uh, symbolic. That was deep, deep intimacy. Follow me, yeah? Before Judas betrayed Jesus, the disciples were gathered and they were about to take communion. And the Bible accounts for this. The Bible says that Judas... Before they broke bread, before they had communion, he took bread and he left the gathering. And then he went to betray Jesus. And communion is symbolic of covenant. It's symbolic of responsibility. I'm committed to you. You're committed to me. It's symbolic of that. It's covenantal. It's responsibility. The Judas spirit is this. The Judas spirit wants intimacy but denies responsibility. That's the prevailing spirit over pornography. Intermercy with no responsibility. That's what it's 
prevailing spirit over these kinds of sin. As believers, you have benefited of that intimacy uh, that was purchased for you through Calvary. We worship, we have access to His presence, we experience Him to that degree, that measure. We have that intimate connection to the Lord. But how many of you know that to He who is given much, much is required? My prayer is that as a church body, we will never, ever, ever have uh, any association with that spirit that wants intimacy but denies and is not willing to embrace responsibility. And our responsibility as a people collectively is this, on earth as it is in heaven, kingdom come, your will be done. That's our responsibility. I'm making sense. Some of you are here, you know, you have different reasons for being here. You know, you're here maybe because community is good. You're here maybe because worship band is doing good. Some of you are here maybe because of my preaching. I don't know. But maybe because of Daniel preaching, you know. Somebody else is preaching. I don't know. Some of you are here maybe because location is great. We are all here, you know, maybe you have different reasons for being here. But today, I want to tell you why you are here. I'll tell you why you're here. You are here to be part of a team of people to bring heaven on earth. That's why you're here. That's why you're in this room right now. That's why you're part of this community. On earth as it is in heaven. That's why you're here. And I hope to recalibrate you this morning, if you will. That you exist for a purpose. You exist to bring the realities of God to this planet. You exist to do that. You have a purpose. No longer being tossed around by different things that happen around you, but now you live above the storms of life, releasing peace wherever you go. You have a divine purpose upon your life. The intimacy that God has purchased for you comes with responsibility attached. That's what I think. I love it, man. That's, that will be our thing. No? No? Okay. I'll read to you our, our theme verse. You know, in our first location, we had this verse on the wall. Okay? Now I hope that this verse will be written on your heart. Okay? That you'll remember this. Okay? This is the verse. This is the strategy. This is why we exist as a church. Matthew. Come on. Matthew. Come on. Huh? No, I never write it down. Oh. Oh, chala. Okay. If you have a Bible, I want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. It says this of us. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if, it, if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamb and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I propose to you this morning that there is a new way to be human. And that is we are salt and light. We are salt and light. I've established earlier that this verse was written, this, 
This was said to believers who were under oppression, who were dealing with their own stuff, who were subjugated by the Roman authorities. And Jesus looks upon these people, this ragtag bunch of rascals, and says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In you is the potential to transform this world. In you, I have placed power and authority to bring change. The Bible says, the Bible says that Jesus, because of the cross, has all power and authority. If he has all power and authority, who has no authority? The devil. Right? Then the Bible goes on and says this, this power and authority that Jesus took, he now gives it to his church. Follow me. Who has power and authority now on this planet? You and me. Okay? Many times we live life as though we are victims to the things that happen around us. But who did he leave in charge of this planet? You and me. Many times we glorify the power of the enemy. Oh my gosh, the enemy is at work. Shakalaba. I am victim. I have no way of overcoming. I cannot do anything. When the Bible says that he has given you power and authority. I put it to you that any power and authority the enemy has is because you gave it to him. Salt and light. You know, often when we read this verse, we think that, that salt um, in, that, in that day, in that context, was used as a preservative, right? You wrap your meats in salt because they didn't have refrigerators that day. Shocker. They didn't have refrigerators that day. No electricity. And they wrapped their meat and stuff like that in salt to preserve it. And we often preach of this verse and like, believers are like salt on the planet. We preserve the planet from destruction, from decay, yada, yada, yada. But when Jesus... Uh, spoke of salt. He didn't speak of it in that context. He didn't speak of it in the context of it being a preservative, but he spoke of it in this manner. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? What does salt do to the food that we eat? It enhances its flavor, right? It raises up, elevates it. It makes it nice. As believers, we are called to enhance elevate the world in which we live in. Salt is for the purpose of enhancing. That means that the places you go to ought to look better because you are there. The Bible says is the Bible says that the kingdom of God is like leaven. How many of you know what leaven is? I'll be very surprised you know what leaven is because I, I didn't know what leaven is until I did my research. And leaven is this uh, ingredient that they put in bread, right? They mix it in dough. And when they put the dough into the oven, the heat activates the leaven that's within the dough that's been kneaded into it and it causes the dough to rise and that's how we get bread. Yeast. <laughs> Shows that I don't bake. I need baking classes and I don't cook. <laughs> Last time I baked was 15 years ago for a girl. Anyway. anyway uh, Amy's not here. Yeah. We are called to be like leaven. To raise up, to lift up. Many times you go into places and spheres and workplaces, you often come in with a critical spirit. This is wrong, that is wrong, that is wrong, this is wrong. But how many of you know that you are there to be a blessing? You are there to be a part of the solution, not to be part of the resistance force against the leader. 
Although some of you think that's the way of change. But you're called to better the places you're in. You're called to lift up that environment. And the question for all of us as a people this morning is that are we salt? Do we enhance? Do we elevate? Do we flavor the places in which we're in? Are places better because of us? Is that making sense? And then the Bible goes on and Jesus goes on to say that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And light, no, it's, it's very simple. Light illuminates, right? It makes bright. It chases away the darkness. Okay? And this was written in the context of like there is no like access to like power switches everywhere. Not everyone has light. But that city on that set on hill, because it has light, it illuminates the entire location. It illuminates the, the, the towns, the houses that are in the valleys. It illuminates everything. It makes everything brighter. It chases away the darkness. Believers are called to live and operate like that. We're called to be light in darkness. We're called to be an answer in the midst of problems. We're called to be bearers and carriers of hope in the midst of hopelessness. How many of you know that God showed up in the days of Moses' children of Israel? He shows up as a fire by night and a cloud by day. Fire to provide warmth in the midst of the cold night. Cloud to provide shelter in that hot day. God specializes in showing up opposite to circumstance. And you and I, we are called to do the same. Light in the midst of darkness. That's what it means to be king. We've gone hard at this, you know, and, and this sermon is really a, it's a, it's a summary almost of all the things we've talked about as a, a leadership team, preachings that we've heard in the last year. You know, we'll talk about stuff that we've talked about time and time again because this is what I endeavor to do this morning. I want to build culture in this church. I want to build DNA in this church. I want to tell you why you're here and what we ought to do and who we are as a body of people, who we are as a city. And as the city, we are salt. We are light. We are about kingdom. Am I making sense? Every believer is a minister, not just a man up front who wears a nice shirt. Every believer is a minister. Jesus just doesn't draw that distinction for you and me. He doesn't draw a distinction between secular and sacred. Because you are now a holy priesthood, Everything you do is sacred. You've been grafted into a kingdom. It's not like you get to opt out the kingdom on days you feel like it. Monday to Saturday, I am in the world. Sunday, I'm kingdom. doesn't work that way. Pick a side. There's no gray areas. This morning, I want to talk about four things. Everybody say four things. And these four things, I believe, uh, is what God wants for this community of people, specific to us for now, to embody, to pursue, to have as a part of their lives. And I believe these four things, if we are committed and covenanted to pursue these four things, we'll actually begin to see change in the world in which we live in. Do we really believe in the betterment of the world? Do we really believe that kingdom can be established on the earth? Do we really believe in hope, which is the confident expectation of good? If so, can I propose to you that if we embody these four things in which I'm about to present to you, we will begin to see change in the world which we live in. We will begin to live, display, and establish kingdom on this planet. All right? The first thing I'll look at this morning is divine wisdom. Divine 
wisdom. And some of you might have varying definitions of what wisdom is. You might think wisdom equals to knowledge. Wisdom equals to amassing more information. But in the story where Solomon asked for wisdom, the Bible accounts that Solomon asked for a hearing ear. And God translated and interpreted that as you're asking for wisdom. Can I put it to you that wisdom is not amassing more knowledge, but wisdom is being connected to the one who is wisdom. It's a hearing ear. It's relational. It's being connected. The world is on a search for wisdom. The world doesn't have a lack of access to knowledge. Google, Yahoo, Bing, whatever have you. We have knowledge. But where we are lacking, where the world is lacking today, is divine wisdom. There are governments present today that are at a complete stalemate because they have no idea how to approach certain situations, certain circumstances, certain problems because they lack divine wisdom. Can I put it to you that the role of the believer is to be a person that pursues wisdom, presents wisdom to change the world in in which they live in. Divine wisdom. Interestingly enough, the, the book associated with wisdom, Proverbs, Proverbs literally translate. Okay, you know, we, we all know, um, some people talk about, oh, Proverbs means riddle, it means like a saying. But the word that is used to, to describe the word proverb actually translates to reign. Proverbs means to reign. R-E-I-G-N, to reign. With wisdom, in our lives, okay, it gives us the ability to reign in life. That's the role of wisdom for you and me. It doesn't mean that today all of us are going to be president. No. But it means this. It means that whatever happens in life, circumstances, situations, problems, hopelessness, we operate on a higher plane. We operate here because we are reigning over these things, these circumstances. The Bible has language for it. It says this. It says that we are seated in heavenly places. Wisdom allows us to do that. The world is on the search for wisdom. Why? Because wisdom means to reign. And when we reign, we operate on a higher plane and we are in a place of peace. These things no longer affect us. To the person who has wisdom, he has influence. Because people want that. They want to discover what it means to do well in life. They want to discover what it means to reign. They want to discover solutions and answers to problems. And wisdom doesn't come from amassing more knowledge. Wisdom comes from the Lord. comes only from God. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, you know, the word that is used to, in, in that verse we read earlier, what good is salt if it is without flavor? Without flavor translates in the Hebrew to foolishness. <clears throat> what is the opposite of foolishness? Just a thought. We need divine wisdom in our lives. I want to go through it real, real quick, but um, I remember this story, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9, and, and before I read, I want to give some context. And this uh, is the story where the prophet Samuel is going about searching for Saul because God has given uh, Samuel this responsibility. Search out Saul and want you to anoint him as king. Okay, and so Samuel was on his mission searching for Saul. But Saul was still a young man. It was about his father's business. And what happened was Saul's 
family lost a few donkeys, and Saul's father was like, Saul, I want you to go and find these donkeys for me. Okay? So, follow me. Samuel on a mission to search for Saul's. Saul's on a mission to search for donkeys. That's where we land, and that's where we had this verse. Now the Lord had told Samuel, the prophet, in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come to me. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Next slide. Then Saul draw, drew near to Samuel again and said, Please tell me where is this seer's house? Samuel asked Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys, they were lost three days ago. Do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. Okay, very um, vague story, but here's the thought I want to present to you this morning. Samuel had a mission, and his mission was to anoint Saul as king. Saul, okay, all that consumed him, all that he was thinking about, okay, was where are these donkeys? Saul came to Samuel. Notice that the first thing out of Samuel's mouth was not, oh my gosh, you are Saul. I've been looking over for you, man. Here's the word of the Lord. God told me to anoint you. You're going to reign. You're going to rule. Da, 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 da. Notice that that was not what Samuel said. Samuel told Saul, okay, and gave Saul answers to problems that he had within him, to things that were troubling him, that were causing him to be anxious. Perhaps the way to bring true, bring the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not when we shove it down a person's throat, but when the church begins to come into a place of divine wisdom that we are able to present answers to things that are troubling the world. When we can settle the anxiousness in the head and from there able to bring the message of the gospel that touches the heart. I don't know whether you caught that thought. I know I didn't explain it well enough, but perhaps divine wisdom, bringing answers and solutions to problems creates a pathway or a highway for us to present the gospel. Because we speak of him as though he, we speak of him as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, he who is hope, he who has come to reconcile the world, he who is God of all. But oftentimes in our lives, we can't demonstrate it. So I think I have a story for you, but I have eight minutes according to my time. But read up on Arthur Guinness, the guy who made Guinness beer. Great man. Love it. Okay. Next thing that I, ought, I think that we ought to be about to change the world, and that's good works. Everybody say good works. Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says this. It says that, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works. Psalm 67, it says this, God be merciful to us and bless us. In some translation, God be kind to us and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Bless us, God. Be merciful towards us. Extend your kindness that they may know who you are. I propose to you this morning that it is the kindness of God, the Bible says, that leads people to repentance. The way God's nature is known on the earth is true, is kind. And most of us have a lottery mentality when it comes to it. You know, we're like, one day God's kindness and goodness will fill the earth. And then, 
all things will be made well and salvation will come to the planet. I'm not opposed to the idea. But can I suggest to you that if we are in the business of co-laboring, if we are partnering God in seeing his kingdom established on the planet, then perhaps you and I were called to be kind and good towards people as well, to be about that work that is good, so that his way may be known on the earth, his salvation to the nations. Kindness, goodness. Brandon Manning said this, the greatest single cause of atheism is Christians who profess Christ but deny him with their lifestyles. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. <laughs> I propose to you that people don't become Christians because A, they haven't met a Christian, or B, because they have met one. Which one are you? Good work is kindness. It's, it's benefiting society. The, the word good work literally translates to the word philanthropy, which is where we have the word philanthropy. And philanthropy comes from two words. Two words, phila, meaning love, and antro, meaning mankind. Loving mankind, benefiting mankind. That is what it means to be about good work. You know, as a church leadership, I, I want to I say, honestly, we, we can do better. As a church leadership, as a leadership team, we can do better with having more initiatives, having more plans, having more uh, ways for us to serve the community, to feed the poor, to be about the good work of Jesus, to be kind. But oftentimes, you know, when, when I, I get a comment when people are like, so what are we doing for the poor? Okay. Honestly, you know, sometimes I, I like to uh, divert the question back to the individuals. What are you doing for the poor? You know, I, I'm not saying that we do not exist as a church to, to feed the poor. I'm not saying that at all. Okay. We can do better. But I'm saying that there is a part of your own life that you ought to dedicate and set aside for the works of Jesus. Because if you are dependent on the church to do it for you and to motivate you, then honestly, it has not become an internal conviction within you. Because if you are internally convicted for these things, you will make it happen no matter whether there's a structure or not. It's time we stop relegating responsibility of our own spiritual growth of being about the works of kingdom to someone else. This guy, Punket, admire him. Okay? If you don't know, okay, he's a guy in the young adults. Okay? Every week, he goes to Chen Sulan home, and he gives tuition to youth at risk there. Kingdom. Admirable. Doing something about it. Seriously, like, no. Admirable. What if as a church, okay, okay this is my dream church, and I've shared it before, that it's a church not uh, backing one initiative together, but a church who is initiated, who has initiative within them to better the world in which they live in. I'm not after getting more of you on board with my cause. I'm after you getting your own cause. Divine wisdom, good works. Third thing, we need to be a people that display the miraculous, that move in signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. Every believer is a minister. All of us are called to move in the miraculous. The reason why I'm so moved and so stirred to see the miraculous happen is because it's out of this experience I had when I was on mission trip to Haiti. And when I went to Haiti, I saw uh, all these people who were uh, uh, in church professing God, but they wore all these um, um, bandages and these uh, uh, you know, leaves and flowers that came from witch doctors. And I remember talking to one individual, I was like, why do you wear that? You know, you're in church, you know, like what's going on? And he said that, oh, because there is no access to healthcare and uh, there's no other way to get healed, that's why I have to go to the witch doctors. 
It's because the church was not moving in power that they had to find their answer somewhere else. Here's how I know the kingdom established in my life, in your family, in our world, is when there is a presence of options. Today in my household, when someone falls sick, when my grandmother falls sick, there are two options. One, we can go to the doctor. Two, Andre can pray. We know the kingdom is established when there is a presence of options. Signs and wonders. I know I'm running late, but Matthew 11 verse 20. Come on. Walk with me. This is Jesus. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works, signs and wonders had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Cherosin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. The thought I want to leave, to you, leave with you as I move on from this point is this. The key to the Sodoms and Gomorrahs of our days is the mighty works of God. If these things had been done in Sodom, it would have remained till today. The key to seeing nations transformed, cities shaped, cultures shifted, your workplaces change is when the power of God becomes evident. When the realities of this kingdom in which you profess to be a part of is made known to the people around you. We need to move on from just professing we are Christian into demonstrating that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but power. Power is the word dunamis, which means demonstration. We need to find a way to demonstrate the kingdom in our lives. Signs and wonders. I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 4 this morning as I close. And I want to close with my final point. Matthew chapter 4, and this is the account of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. It says this. It says, Now when the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Okay, I know it's a really obscure verse, but I want to break it down for you. Jesus went through three three temptations, right? First, turn stone into bread. Two, cast yourself down from this high place which scholars believe was in the middle of a city square. Throw yourself down. The angels will bear you up. People will see it. They will marvel. Sign and wonder. Last one. Jesus, if you were to bow to me, I will give you influence. I will make you reign over the nations. The Messianic prophecies were this, that there was coming a Messiah to rule and reign and to be the saviour of the world. Okay? He was to be the king of kings. Turn bread, turn stone to bread. Okay? There was a massive problem with hunger, 
No, there was famines all across the world. Okay? Jesus could turn stone to bread and people would instantly recognize him. Oh, you must be the Messiah. You're solving our need. You're solving the most prevalent social need of that day. Turn stone to bread. Next, cast yourself down from here. Angels will bear you up. People will see the signs and the wonders and they will marvel and they'll be like, you must be the Messiah. You could have done that. Next, Jesus bow to me and I'll give you influence over the nations. Okay? He will literally be fulfilling the prophecy, right? Rule and reign. Be influential. Take all the top positions. Rule and reign. Right? Meet the social need. Signs and wonders, miracles. Have influence. Jesus faced the three temptations because each and every single one of them was a fast track to fulfilling the prophecy. He could have completely avoided and sidestepped the cross. But he went through and he denied himself from partaking in those temptations and he chose the way of the cross. Salvation to all mankind. If the church is only about meeting the social need, signs and wonders and miracles, having influence, then we have failed our job as the church. The church exists to point people to the cross of Jesus Christ, which is salvation for all mankind. Yes, we are about all these things, but those are means to an end. The city is not known as a church that meets social need. The city is not known as a church that does signs and wonders. The city is not known as a church that's influenced. The city has to be known as a church who preaches the gospels and sees souls get saved, set free for the kingdom. And the last thing I want us to embody more than anything else is that we will become bold witnesses. Bold witnesses. What good is solving all these things if souls are not saved for the kingdom of God? We can eradicate world hunger, but people are still going to hell. We can heal every sickness, but if salvation is not preached, people are still going to hell. We can have influence over every mountain, over every company, but if the gospel is not preached, people are still going to hell. Hell is a real place. I know some of us, you know, myself included, we, we are guilty of putting it off. One day someone will sort it out. One day someone's going to come in and do something about it. One day, you know, they, they will encounter God by themselves. I don't have to do anything about it. But I'm reminded of that promise that was given to Joshua. Joshua, every place, every land that your foot so steps in, I have given it to you. It's time we stop relegating the responsibility of our prayers to someone else and begin to move and actually take action for the prayers that we pray. You pray for salvation in your family, then what are you doing about it? Are we conscious of eternity? Are we conscious of our responsibility? C.T. Stutt, a a missionary that was martyred, he says this, he says, the light that shines farthest shines brightest nearest home. The light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. You know what really prompted this thing? You know, I, a few months ago, I, I was on Facebook and I saw um, that one of uh, my bunkmates in, in BMT, you know, we, we were pretty tight as a, as a section and we were close. And, you know, I probably had you know, 15, 20 opportunities to preach the gospel to the guy. We, it's, it's not like we were strangers. I, I knew him, you know, and I had every opportunity to do so, but I didn't. And I knew he was of a different faith. I knew that he, he probably hadn't heard the gospel in his whole life. And just a few months ago, you know, I, I was on Facebook and saw that he, 
you know, he's younger than me, he's 25, he, he passed on, he had a heart attack and he died. And then, you know, I begin to rationalize myself, oh, maybe, you know, he will hear the gospel, you know, after he died. And, uh, I come up with different theories, right? And to be honest, these theories were, were not done in the right spirit, if I can put it to you, right? They were done so to make me feel better about myself. And that's what the, the world is going through right now. You know, Christian theologians all over the world, they are debating the existence of hell. Or maybe hell is not such a bad place. Or maybe hell doesn't really exist. But if we numb ourselves to the pain of someone possibly going through eternal torment, then it makes us absolutely ineffective in this world. And there's something seriously wrong with us. If we can watch the people around us live lives not hearing about the goodness of God, about the gospel of Jesus Christ that was shared, was given freely for them, not hearing that news, one day coming to a place of it's not okay, and there's something seriously wrong with us. If we are not moved to do, called to be bold witnesses, in heaven we'll see many amazing things. You know, we'll see architecture that we'll probably never see before. We'll see creatures that we'll never see in the planet. You no know, four faces. Amazing, amazing things, you know. Pearls the size of an SUV, I don't know. Amazing things. Amazing things that we'll see in heaven. But there's one thing that we will never see in heaven. One of many things, but this one thing that we'll not see in heaven. And that is a non-Christian. We'll never see a non-Christian in the light of eternity. You have this one life, this opportunity.